So let's start, I guess. So, Tesla's Cybertruck. Yeah. What do you think? Our thoughts. Um, well, it's a striking, awesome concept, and you know, whilst it's obviously an ambitious play from them to stick that into the market, I think it's great. Yeah, I think they've really gone for um, the shock value. They really wanted to distinguish themselves from all of these other car manufacturing companies. Yeah, um, that kind of makes itself apparent like in their supposed approach to marketing with regards to the Cybertruck. They haven't put much resources, if any, into advertisement and have basically allowed it to get memed to internet stardom. Now everyone knows about the Cybertruck already within a few weeks of its announcement. That's huge, obviously, that exposure. And yeah, the striking visuals in combination with the engineering feats. Like the angular design of the truck, for instance. Uh, They have a triangle base design, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the triangle is the most uh, strong shape anyway. They're definitely going for that. Um, but I think with a degree, with to a degree, the design isn't aimed to play to like please everyone. It's obviously for those people that are going for that very, very, very special like uh, aesthetic. They want to be able to scream "I own a Tesla." I feel like even Tesla's normal cars have become so normalized in some areas. It's not really that much of a wow factor anymore. Yeah. Like I was in LA a few months back. And the amount of Teslas that you see over there, you just see people reading their books and driving around. Yeah. Well, I mean, LA is supposedly one of the hotspots for Teslas as well, actually. If you see a um, global map of um, Tesla usage worldwide, you basically just see extraordinary hotspots in Western Europe and all over, I think, the West Coast of North America. A fair bit scattered throughout Asia and the UAE, actually. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of makes sense. It's where most of the wealth is, I guess. Exactly, yeah. This is definitely a highly developed country sort of angle that they're taking, I guess. Luxury goods. Yeah, and it makes you think, like, um, with the Cybertruck, for instance, who are they marketing that at? Do you think they're going for the same people over here? I think they're going for a different subset of the market. Like, the truck market has been largely, like, unchanged for decades, you know? Mm, That was part of the argument they were making, so... The trucks haven't really been developed in a hundred or so years, and what's the current supposed um, reigning champion Ford F one fifty or something? Yeah, yeah. Name, um, but apparently outperforms that in every marker. Um, and again, speaking to the crowd, at which the Cybertruck is aimed at, um, obviously it's not angled towards those original people who are regular truck owners that's not the angle they're taking because it's a different subset of the market that really values this concept of fully autonomous electronic vehicles and it's definitely going for a younger audience right uh you've got these people that have owned these ford f-150s for generation well not generation decades now that type of truck and now you've got these newer newer uh, tradespeople. Or even just normal people who think there's a lot of utility to a truck. But maybe the first aesthetic was a bit of a deterrent. So maybe you're also capturing that part of the market as well. So, I mean, there's definitely something to be said there. Maybe they're actually breaking into new market. 
yeah. with this aesthetic wholeheartedly and we can also see that I, guess, I suppose with the you know the the deposit to reserve the cyber trucks being so cheap obviously it's refundable so maybe it's not a fully fair representation of how many will be sold upon re- you know its actual release date but yeah um, the fact that it's refundable I think suggests that they acknowledge or that they believe whether you deem it to be ambitiously or not that the demand is there and yeah. if all those people refund that $100 deposit then they'll be able to sell it to another consumer anyway yeah definitely and the question there is do you actually think that the intention of having that pre-order was to actually be a pre-order because I'd go as far as to say that has nothing to do with pre-orders I don't think they'd even have the capacity to deliver that many I think that was just a very 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 smart marketing strategy because you know you've got these people who are very very uh, they want to look cool they want to look like they're doing something environmentally friendly you've got this subset of people that this is just targeting and if I was just someone who worked and probably wasn't able to get a Tesla if I went into work and said hey I just pre-ordered that new Cybertruck you've got this you've got them spreading the message instantly because the barrier to entry is so low that you've got so many people doing this right yeah absolutely and then they tell their friends and then their friends go pre-order per se in quotation marks free marketing isn't it free marketing and it's viral and that's the approach that they've really taken towards this they put all of their effort and resources into R&D and the delivering of this product rather than touting its its value basically and the value of those pre-orders is quite staggering too so they've got 250,000 pre-orders confirmed least and at a hundred dollars each that comes to 25 million in, for just the pre-orders which are refundable but that's just enormous revenue for nothing yeah it's almost like it's um it's almost like it's a form of funding they're almost like because companies do these things where they try and get some form of market validation see if people are willing to put money down mm. and this is almost one way of saying hey we validated this so if Tesla were to go for one more big funding cycle as startups do, they'd be able to say, we've got this many people signed up and these are our projections. That's also insane. And in itself, it's a form of funding, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's mental. And if you think about it from an economic perspective, you've got $100 and its value today. And then you've got the value of $100 two, three years from now. Um, due to inflation, it would actually be worth less later. Yeah. So if anything, they could even be seen as profiting from this. Indeed, yeah. Time value of money, they've just brought the payments forward and they have a lot to gain from that. Money's worth more now than it is in the future. Yeah, exactly. It's actually mental. And I, yeah, just the value there, all of these. um, And yeah, with that whole aesthetic, you've got this value of putting down that $100. And if anything, it's more a ticket to brag than a ticket to a Tesla. Yeah. And like with a design like that, right? Uh, people who are really into it, they'd really want to show off that they have that. You've got this minimal design with so many features, you know? And well, so many features internally, but from a design perspective, it's so minimalistic. Yeah. Um, Aesthetically as well, yeah. Yeah. So um, there's no grill on it, is there? Not to my knowledge. Does it have a grill? I'm too sure. Hmm. Look it up. 
I also wonder whether they're they intend to use it in their um, robo fleet. Yeah, you're right. Um, they probably would. The robo fleet fleet actually looks so promising. It's like you're almost telling your consumers, "Hey, you can buy this car, but within a few years, this car is going to be basically free. You yeah. get a car loan of whatever the value of the car is." And then instead of having to pay out of your own pocket, you just turn your car into a taxi, right? Is that the general idea? Yeah, basically. So you own a Tesla. The given nature of owning a car is that, you know, you only utilize that car between 5 and 10% of any given time period. Yeah. And the rest of that time can be devoted towards pressing a button on your phone and then your Tesla will use its self-driving autonomous driving capabilities to basically go and perform ride sharing services in the stead of Uber or any other ride sharing app and do the same job but without a driver yeah. and it's quite apparent that the driver is the largest and takes the largest slice of the pie with regards to how much you know of that profit goes towards Uber and as a consequence of that they will manage to absolutely annihilate them undercut uber and all the other ride sharers just because of that simple fact exactly and if you're a consumer right you want to you want to get a ride somewhere and if you had a tesla at your front door in two minutes or some other car at your front door in two minutes i mean who's to say that you choose anything else right yeah and at that point that you've got all of these tesla owners all making a quick buck quick buck off their cars right you've got what four or five teslas just waiting to get new rides i mean there's such a supply of these cars that you could even argue that you know they would actually be able to drop those prices significantly exactly you know yeah we can i guess we can fret a little bit about like oversaturating the market with teslas because this isn't really common knowledge yet the robo fleet it's not in the public sphere of discussion yet, really. Yeah. Um, but when it is, I think it's quite apparent that a lot of people will see the value in that and that owning a Tesla would basically a ticket to free income, free passive income. Exactly. And that might lead to oversaturation, which might over time lead to, you know, too many autonomous Teslas driving around with no one looking to get in them because too many people own them now. <laughs> That's a hilarious image. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that kind of changes, it, it kind of flips it on its head, doesn't it? Because you've got this premium car that's coveted, that's rare, that's very, very, very hard to get. Uh, something that, like, the most wealthy in society have. And if you have these vehicles just driving around everywhere, maybe there's an argument to be made that it's a self-regulating market where people might not even buy Teslas because they know that they can just get them from the Tesla app. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of feedback loops going here. Yeah. You've got a lot to think about there. Yeah. And from what I understand, the profit model for the ride sharing for the robo fleet is um, the owner of the car takes, it's over 75%, not sure on the specifics, but then... Um, the rest of the slices of the pie really just go towards Tesla and its subsidiaries and yeah yeah and man it's a it's literally a market disrupting idea and to think that they just it kind of shows you if you have some software or some hardware and you can just reframe what you have a bit you have a gold mine really mm. it's you're using the same hardware 
the same software for the most part, just adding an extra level on there and you're just reframing it a bit and you've generated a completely new business that is disrupt it disrupts a lot of markets like it's not just ride sharing that it's disrupting if you think about it like have you ever lived in a city before yeah of course yeah so um if you've lived in a city what is one of the biggest issues when you drive around congestion traffic exactly congestion traffic you've also got parking haven't you yeah so you've got to pay like how much for parking uh so now instead of paying to keep your car somewhere you're literally letting your car go generate income while you're at a mall. It's like you're flipping the parking industry on itself as well. That's a good point, actually. You can just keep that thing running all day to avoid parking fees. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's good. And well, like, yeah. <laughs> and with people, like with Tesla making these cars more and more affordable, right? You've got almost everyone with the capacity to have a car which they never have to pay parking for. I pay so much for parking, so I am very happy about this. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> get a Tesla. Exactly right. See, it's working. Their yeah. marketing's working. Exactly. It is genius, really. Yeah, and they they've set themselves up really well in advance to be in this position, just because of the way in which you know they basically engineered this whole market perspective with the angle of having the most having the highest degree of consistent machine learning occurring at any given time on the road. So I think that um, the company that comes second to Tesla with regards to the number of miles traveled by um, cars that you know, employ machine learning is Waymo, the Google driverless car. Oh, okay. And I think the factor is like at least 675 times more than Waymo has with regards to the overall you know miles traveled by either of these cars and so you know that translates to a massive multitude of different advantages with regards to how these teslas can now differentiate between different road hazards and adapt to different situations because they've faced already basically any situation that will feasibly be thrown at them on the road right and they're just going to get better um, it's a learning curve. <laughs> Quite literally. But, yeah. Quite literally. It's yeah. a learning curve, isn't it? Yeah. It's so weird using that terminology on non-humans. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's really hard. And now you see Google jumping into this. You see, do you know the rumors that Apple is also trying to jump into this market? Into cars. Yeah, into cars. Really? Self-driving cars. So rumor has it that starting in 2014... Apple started working on something called Project Titan with 1,000 employees uh, working on getting, getting the self-driving car working. And Apple's still working on it. And there's this very, um, very reputable uh, Apple like forecaster. Um, his name is Ming-Chi Kuo. I'm not too sure how to say it. Sorry if I butchered it. But um, he's the guy who keeps predicting these new iPhones coming out, these new iPads, and almost he's right almost every time. Like an Apple visionary. Exactly. And uh, this guy says that the new Apple car is looking to be launching between uh, 2023 and 2025. Okay. So, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And they intend for it to be fully self-driving. I'm not too sure, uh, but it is looking that it's going to be an autonomous driving car with an autonomous wow. driving software. The iCar. 
that would be crazy though, because Apple's always had this very strong stance on privacy and data. And that's the reason why some people speculate that Siri is worse than Google Assistant. It's not harvesting all of that data to learn from. So who's to say that... Um, uh, worse performance-wise, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Well, with the amount of stuff that it can do. Now, that's just speculation, right? Right. But it'd be very interesting to see how Apple tackles this. Oh, so does Google Assistant use machine learning? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh. I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. interesting. It's just about all of that data that they keep. Um, yeah, so with all of these big tech companies jumping into the sphere of self-driving cars, it really does make you think that Tesla's up for a bit of competition. And let's say you have this Tesla model that's very, very well trained. Mm -hmm. So basically with machine learning, you've got this uh, form of AI uh, where you constantly train your model to get better and better. Uh, that's a very oversimplified, glorified way of, of describing it, but that's the general idea. So if you have this model that is very well trained from Tesla, and that is the model that makes lawmakers go, hey, these cars are pretty safe. Let's put them on roads. And then you've got new companies entering the sphere. And of course, that model, Tesla's not going to give that out. That's their secret source. They wouldn't give it to these other big companies. Who's to say that regulators wouldn't be able to see, okay, maybe the Apple self-driving car, or the Google one, or any of these other companies, maybe those cars aren't as well trained it's the Tesla, you know? And then maybe you've, you're implementing a bit of a hazard in society because there's this massive difference. And how would you be able to quantify the degree of safety that a machine algorithm even has, you know? Right. And are lawmakers in a position to even do that? Like, they're having issues getting into iPhones, man. Yeah. <laughs> how are they going to freaking, I don't know. So how are we going to set standards in such an emerging field, standards of you know, degrees of safety with regards to how intelligent these different car types are on the road, how exactly. safe they are under their differing models of machine learning. And I mean, Tesla is the prime example, obviously, because, you know, it's got the greatest market capacity for these hours lived, miles traveled. Um, so nothing compares at this state. But yeah, you raise good questions there about the future of that market. How will other people compete? Should other people compete? Is I think this... it'll be very difficult. Exactly. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna disrupt the non EV sector like completely. Totally. Um, and so it's a question of how quickly they can adapt to the EV market in a way that's sufficient to actually enable them to enter it. Yeah. Because there are a lot of auto companies that stand to lose but also gain from this but there are tons of auto companies basically full stop is the point so yeah like they're definitely look they're disrupting so many industries with this like we mentioned earlier the parking industry you've got the ride sharing industry and some could even argue luxury cars in general because hmm. like if if you know that you pay 70 grand for a car and you get self-driving and it pays itself off or you pay 70 grand for a car and you don't get self-driving and it's just lost money it really makes you make that decision on whether to go for the luxury card car like the Merc hmm. or the BMW or do you go for a Tesla and like with viral marketing like this I mean who's to say yeah who's to say anyone would want to choose anything else <laughs> it's hard at this point isn't it it's crazy it's crazy yeah um so, so we can I guess relate that to the Tesla cloud and security of 
relating to that I mean yeah somehow yeah so like think about it so the Tesla cloud right so you've got all of this data just stored either on these cars or that it's being transmitted in some shape way or form right mm -hmm. uh, you've got a question here that I truly do believe um, I think uh, it was the head of security um, in I think it was the NSA um, I was reading up an article on him earlier and there's these um, hacks called zero day hacks so basically um, some organizations uh, that do go for these security vulnerabilities they keep these hacks but they keep them hidden so there are different hacks for like Windows for instance that they just don't share with the public or Microsoft and then the moment they do need to use it as like a weapon or something they have them in their arsenal right um, so uh, but this person argued that you don't actually need these zero days to become successful in compromising security of systems. He, he said that having that, um, you know, perseverance to break into a system and just intelligence is more than enough to do it. And that really worries me with these self-driving cars, you know? Yeah. Like, do we have to worry about that with the advent of potentially 5G technology? Will that... I'm not sure if Tesla is going to be using 5G technology. Uh, have you um, heard anything on that? No, I haven't. Yeah, but 5G is very interesting because mm -hmm. 5G has this... Um, it's the whole idea of having this internet of things, right? So, everything interacting yeah. with everything. Everything is interlinked. You can kind of think of this as like um, a tree almost, like a tree outside. You've got a root... And then you've got every branch connected to the root. And then every other branch that's going off that is connected to that. And you've got this long interconnected network almost. Yeah. And the leaves interact with the oxygen and the roots interact with microbes. And exactly. It goes on. So you can push that analogy onto something like a 5G network, can't you? Yeah. You have this data flow going through here. And if you have one, one node of that tree compromised, right? Uh, you have the risk of having almost everything. Compromised. Mm. So the Internet of Things stands to make the internet a lot more vulnerable. It is so scary, man. Because like you know, you've got these um, you've got these uh, microcontrollers and everything. Microcontrollers are like little computers. You have everyone trying to buy a smart microwave, for instance, or a smart kettle. Um, all of these smart devices that are connected to your Alexas or your voice assistants, mm -hmm. and um, you've got these basically microphones implanted in your house and who's to say that if a malicious actor didn't want to they could just get onto your network or in with the 5g they could get onto one of these nodes and they could harvest all of that data from it it's just it's, it's dangerous a terrifying concept exactly you know, potential for blackmail and extortion is pretty extreme yeah um yeah i've seen I mean, we've all seen, I suppose, the claims with regards to 5G and its dangers in other ways. Like, people talk about it causing infertility and cancer, and there was a claim of um, hundreds of birds falling out of the sky in the Hague, the Netherlands. But apparently they're all fully unsubstantiated. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, but it's scary, though, you know? Because there's no real way to know what 5G is going to do to us yeah. until we sit in it for, let's say, a few dozen years and see the long-term effects like it's literally you have to 
run the experiment to see the result, right? Exactly. No one's a fortune teller, so um, you really have to think like, yes, it may sound hilarious that you'll have like crazy effects, but while they are unsubstantiated, I feel like there's a kernel of truth there. Yeah, we have to be a skeptic until we're not. Exactly, and sure, you shouldn't go around saying, hey, it's gonna you know, make cats fall out of the sky or anything, <laughs> but at the same point, you can't just sit there and say with confidence that you can assert that nothing's going to happen. Yeah. You know, that would be foolhardy as well. And that makes it really challenging for regulators or society. Yes. Yeah. We don't know whether to embrace this technology. And I guess that's the thing with almost any technology. Right? Yeah. There's always resistance. We see an adoption curve and I guess the analogy we can easily just bring back to Tesla. So there's always a bunch of fanatics when a new model is released and the adoption curve looks like an S so like yeah there's a when something new comes out there's a rush of new adopters and then it falters and then it, it's a gradual increase over time but yeah. there's always a subset at the opposite end of that spectrum that refuse to adopt it for as long as they possibly can that's just the nature of society really and that other subset that is resisting the change towards 5G for those reasons we were just discussing they're likely just you know the resentful adopters because they will have to because it's a public will good. they go <laughs> will they have to adopt how can you avoid <laughs> you just stick to well yeah, yeah. you're right how can you avoid electromagnetic radiation so let's say did you know that you can't like I don't know but they're still they're still supporting old radio frequencies man like you've got edge from the days when mobile phones like first started getting data um, if you have an old enough phone, I'm pretty sure, I, I think I connected to a tower for that a while ago, mm. uh, with Edge or even 2G or 3G. People still have 3G. Yeah. So, I mean, the moment you start cutting off these, you make people's, because not everyone's upgrading to the newest phone. Yeah. How many phones actually have 5G in them right now? I mean, I think there are only a few models on the market. I have no clue, actually. Yeah, and people are adopting this technology like pretty slowly. Like, uh, I don't know if like the moment you start cutting down old, old frequencies, you really do make so many people's normal devices like obsolete. And normal people, they don't really upgrade their phone that frequently these days. Yeah, it looks uh, like the generation of phones that came out at the same time as the Galaxy S10 actually, for the most part, support 5G. Yeah, it's really interesting because Apple doesn't yet. It's like, yeah, they're, they're, uh, it's, it's this complicated thing with Qualcomm. There's a lot of politics there, right. but it looks like they're trying to get, they're trying to get one in, um, I think next year. That's what the rumors say. Okay. It's interesting, but yeah, you're right. Let, let's not think the next 10 years or 20 years, next 50 years, I'd be surprised if people did not adopt these frequencies. Yeah. I mean, we'll be on to 10G by then, I guess, but... <laughs> Yeah, so, and let's say that even cars, like, Tesla's not the only player in the game, right? No. Let's say that they do adopt 5G in their cars. It's almost like you're, if everything is interconnected, um, you connect to one node. Hopefully they have good security protocols, but maybe that introduces the risk of maybe your car being a sitting duck to just hack, almost. Mm. Are you in the loop at all with regards to, um, what's the... SpaceX internet scheme, um, Satlink or something? Satlink, no, tell me more. Um, well, they're planning to you know, launch thousands of satellites over the next few years into space to 
established worldwide internet. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but I'm, are they using 5G for that? I don't think they would be. No. That would be something different. But I don't know, there's a lot to be said over there as well, man. Yeah. Um, do you know, so one thing with 5G is that it actually helps you locate other devices because of uh, proximity of devices to each other. So let's say, um, so some people in the geospatial community actually believe, so geospatial is basically just the map, the maps and the GPS community. They believe that we're going to shift from GPS soon. And like, you need quite a few satellites to be able to get your geolocation. I think it's like four or five. Uh, don't call me on that. Yeah. But you need more than one. At least a triangle worth. Yeah. You need a triangle worth, right? So with all of these satellites flying around, there's, you get a higher and higher chance of a collision. Once you get a collision, and if you collide enough satellites, GPS becomes more and more unstable. I'm not saying you wouldn't be able to get one, because I think they have literal, like, I think over 30 satellites up there. But, like, the likelihood of getting a good connection is really low. Yeah. And at that point, I mean, you know, maybe that's where 5G links in again, with all of these satellites going into space. Uh, maybe you could use 5G as the new form of geolocation. Right. It would work to a much higher degree. It's actually, it's actually a really interesting space. I think there's this company called XYO that's doing something very interesting in that sphere as well with the Internet of Things and geolocation. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't think they're doing too well these days. Uh, but the whole idea is that you have your little um, your Sentinel uh, it's a little uh, computer that you carry around, mm -hmm. and um, it basically harvests all of the geospatial data around you, so devices and things. So you're able to locate things at very, very, very high levels of accuracy, even indoors. It's, the practicality of that is insane. It is insane. I mean, you have a bit of a geospatial background yourself, so you would understand that if you can get something at a millimeter resolution with respect to location, that's that's a game changer. Yeah, definitely. For intelligence as well. Mm. Yeah. I imagine for um, organic chemistry as well, actually. Why do you say that? Actually, no, they'd have much more accurate technology. <laughs> <laughs> Nanotech, so man. Of other applications for it, but yeah. And national security is one massive one. Yeah. And that's, that's one more thing. You have like these malicious entities on these networks. Who's to say they can't tell where you're located? No one. Yeah. It's dangerous, man. The more, the more we integrate our lives with technology, the more we're putting ourselves at risk. But at the end of the day, I'm still carrying around my Bluetooth headphones my smartphones, my laptop, and I'm just waiting for 5G to hit the iPhone and I'll buy that one as well. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, it's so weird. Mm. It's almost like I know that it's very, very, very risky, but at the same time, I'm almost just so wowed by the technology that it's a price I'm willing to pay. Well, exactly. Yeah, we're all enamored by the increase in productivity and just the how much it improves our lives generally. We're willing to concede exactly. a small chance of a terrifying illness. And maybe that's an idea. Maybe maybe you could build a sector out of ensuring that people do have privacy. Build systems that are very, very hard to get into and be like, look, we're not going to promise you every feature under the sun. We're not going to give you everything, but we're going to give you an experience where we can almost guarantee that you will be safe. Maybe there's, maybe there's a market there with this stuff happening. If there's not, there definitely will be. Exactly. It's crazy, isn't it? 
It is crazy. Yeah. It is absolutely crazy. Yeah. So I guess, do you think maybe there, maybe there is a solution to this? Maybe we need to be, maybe we need a, maybe we need that industry. Maybe we need an industry that can offer us enough features, but we're very, very, very focused on privacy. You know, with a, I guess, dedication towards ensuring that the Internet of Things doesn't overly entangle things in an adverse way exactly we don't want to get to the point where we have full-on infestation almost maybe that's a bad metaphor but we don't we don't want everything to be iot and then we realize and go it's too late like that would be the worst yeah judgment day (laughs) exactly well that was uh well thank you so much for co-hosting with me my pleasure shabazz thank you yeah and thank you guys for listening we um Appreciate it, and I guess we'll see you next week with another podcast. Cheers. See you guys later. Take care.